Yeah, it's going to be helpful to be able to see Daniel chapter 2. We'll be going all the way through it. And we want to give attention to it because God speaks it to us. Let's ask him to be at work as we hear his word. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we are utterly dependent upon you. Uh, Thank you that you speak these words, that we might know what is true and what is good. Um, Please do help us to think and concentrate. Help us to trust you, the speaker, in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Imagine... Imagine you're camping in the wilds of America. It's nighttime. You hear a noise outside your tent. It could be a bear or it could be a rabbit. You'll feel much, you'll feel much, much better if you tell yourself it's a rabbit. So well, that's what you do. You tell yourself it's a rabbit. You feel better. But you haven't changed what's really outside your tent. If it was a bear outside your tent before you told yourself it's a rabbit, well, it's still a bear outside your tent. Even if you keep telling yourself it's a rabbit, it's a rabbit, it's a very big rabbit, it's still a bear outside your tent. You're just going to be a little bit less stressed when it eats you which maybe that's good for the bear in terms of tender meats. It might have been better for you if you knew it was a bear outside because then at least you get to run faster than the slower person. Uh, though if you knew it was a, if you knew that you wouldn't get away, then maybe you would have been happy to keep thinking it's a rabbit just so you got to enjoy those last few moments being relaxed. The stories we tell change the way we see the world but they don't actually change the world. We need true stories. We need stories that reflect reality. We live in a culture that's confused. Uh, It's feeling its way through years and decades and centuries. The stories have changed. And they'll keep changing. Each new story tells us to see the world and ourselves in a new way. A truer way? A better way? Well, who knows? It might be a rabbit, but it could be a bear. Now, the Bible stories about what happened in history are true to what happened in history. They also help us see things as they really are. Who we really are. What's really good, what God's really like, and all the rest. Each time we read the Bible, we're invited to step further into a truer and better story. Is it truer? Is it better? Oh, that's the question we face every day. (laughs) Is what the Bible's told us, is it true? Is it better? In Daniel chapter 2, uh, we see the stories of Babylon's spiritual advisors clash with the stories of the Bible. Chapter 2 picks up where chapter 3 left off. Uh, we're told Nebuchadnezzar uh, dreams, he's troubled, he can't sleep. So he calls the people who are supposed to be able to help. Uh, he calls all his spiritual advisors, verse 2, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans. 
The king tells them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. The spiritual advisors answer the king, O king, live forever. I guess that's what they usually did to try and butter him up. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. That's how it usually works. The dreamer says what they dreamed about. They go and do their research in their dream manuals. The science of looking at what people have dreamed in the past and what happened after those dreams in the past. And then the art of working out how does whatever similarities they are help them work out what might come next. And after that, they'd come back and tell the king what his dream means. They just need the dream storyline so they can use the dream manual. But the king's having none of it. He keeps his dream as a secret. He doesn't tell them. So the dream storyline is as much of a mystery to them as the meaning of the, of the dream is a mystery to the king. He wants them to tell him the dream storyline and the dream's meaning. But he's a reasonable man, so he gives them two options. Option one, tell him they can't do it and have his soldiers tear their arms and legs off, push their houses over, family in or outside, I guess he'll decide later. Or option two, they can, you can tell, they can tell him the dream and what it means, and he'll give them gifts and rewards and great honor. They say, option three, you tell us a dream and we tell you what it means and we call it quits. The king says it slowly so that they understand. You're just playing for time because you know I've made up my mind. You think if you keep talking lies and bluffs for long enough, the times will change. You're hoping I'll forget, or you're hoping I'll die. Then at the end of verse 9 he says, Tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. See, up until now we might have been wondering, does the king even remember what he's been dreaming? But that's not it. What it is, is that when they tell him the dream, he'll know that they're actually able to tell him what it means, because he'll recognize that they're telling him the dream The same storyline that he dreamt will be the storyline that they tell him. So they tell him what it means. Well, he can trust them that they're actually able to do it. He doesn't trust their process. Option three is not an option. They can either tell him the dream and what it means and live, or they can refuse and die. The Chaldeans are getting a bit desperate by now. They try to tell the king some basic facts about dreams and knowing things. Verse 10 There's not a man on the earth who can meet the king's demands for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. No one can do what you're asking. It's not in our job description. And with all respect, it's not in your job description. Verse 11, they say it's difficult, but they mean impossible. No one can show it to the king, well, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So you understand what they're saying here about the gods? See, no human can tell someone what they dreamed last night. The gods could, because they know, but they don't live with flesh. They don't live with humans. The immortals aren't in amongst the immortal, the mortals. 
None of them are coming to tell you, king. And none of them are coming to tell us so we can tell you. They're saying the gods don't speak. See, these people, they worship the gods. They have houses for the gods, temples. But the gods don't speak. So when Nebuchadnezzar says that he won't accept vague and confusing words about what's going to happen in the future, they have to admit it. The gods are silent. Nebuchadnezzar is understandably frustrated, angry, and furious. He's just wasted five minutes of his life with these jokers. He told them their options. They've chosen option one, so option one it is. He gives the order. The guards start rounding up all Babylon's wise men to kill them. And we say that that includes Daniel and his companions. Now, they're being rounded up for slaughter, and they haven't even heard why they're being rounded up for slaughter. Uh, so Daniel asks why. The captain's, uh, the king's captain tells him. Daniel buys some time. He makes an appointment with the king to tell him what, the, what his dream means. And as he makes that appointment, I think we're supposed to remember chapter 1, verse 17. We were, t- we were told that Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. See, the gods may be silent, but God in heaven is not. So Daniel probably did that course on the book of dreams during his University of Babylon Master's in Wisdom degree. But he obviously doesn't need the book. His senior lecturers have already failed the test. Daniel doesn't need the book of dreams. Daniel needs God, and he knows it. So verse 18, he tells his friends, He tells them to seek the mercy, sorry, to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So the king's dream is a mystery to them. What it means is a mystery to them. They don't know it and they can't know it. They can't figure it out. That's pretty much what a mystery is in the Bible. Mystery doesn't mean something weird, strange, unusual. It means hidden, unknown, secret. It's a thing that is hidden. Sometimes it's a thing that was hidden. They ask God to show the hidden dream and the hidden meaning, the mystery. Now compare them praying to what the king's spiritual advisors did. Back in verse 11, they think the gods know. They think the gods won't, their gods won't tell them, so they don't even bother to ask. Daniel and the others, they think God in heaven knows. They think God in heaven can tell. So they ask him to tell. They realize they can't demand it. Verse 18, they ask for mercy. They ask for something they don't deserve. But they're asking him to do what they're convinced he can do. And he does it. Verse 19, God reveals the dream and its meaning to Daniel in a vision of the night. And as Daniel thanks God for just how how different the living, true, and loving, and holy God is compared to the Babylonians' gods, well, I guess we see the difference. Verse 20, blessed be the name of God, blessed be the name of the one God, blessed be his name forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. See, we know his might because, verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. 
Whatever happens, he is in control. All the might, all the power, all the authority are his. All the wisdom too. His wisdom has no limits. The things that are said there at the very end of verse 22 about knowing what is in the darkness, about light dwelling with him, that's the way of saying that nothing is unknown to him. Not even the things in darkness. Nothing is beyond his understanding. He shines light everywhere. But he doesn't just know and understand. He tells. Middle of verse 21. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. Verse 23. You have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. So the king's secret dream is no longer hidden from Daniel. The secret meaning of the dream is no longer hidden from Daniel, because God revealed the mysteries. God uncovered the secrets. So Daniel, uh, one of the exiles from Judah, is brought to the king. The king asks, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel said, well, it's not so much me as God in heaven. Verse 27, in case we weren't paying attention or the king hasn't noticed, Daniel says, no wise men, uh, enchanters, magicians, or else astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. They failed. Their gods failed. They couldn't tell the secret, but there is a God in heaven, verse 28, who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in latter days. He gave the dream. God has showed you what's coming next. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You hear what he's saying? God revealed it to the king. God revealed it to Daniel. See, it would be a mistake to step away from this passage thinking, whoa, isn't Daniel amazing? No, God is amazing. He reveals what could not be known any other way. Now think about it. Up to this point, nothing has been checked. Daniel had just said that he knows because God in heaven has told him. In verses 31 to 35, we see that he does know. Daniel tells the king his dream. He points to the great image, mighty and bright, frightening. Gold head, silver chest and arms, bronze middle and thighs, iron legs, iron and clay mixed as his feet. Uh, This image, this statue... Statue, it's a thing made with human hands that he's he's seen in his dream. And it's frightening, it's terrifying. 
I'm thinking it looked more like Sauron um, in battle armor than the guy who was up just before. It's frightening, terrifying, but not for long because verse 34. As Daniel looked, a stone was cut uh, by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff up the summer threshing floor. The bits and pieces blow away like dust. It's as if it was never there. None of it. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. All this time the king is nodding. Yep. Yep, that's what I saw. That's what he saw. That's what happened to it. This is the dream he dreamt. That's why after he hears the explanation, uh, he gives Daniel gifts that he promised. Verse 47, just flick, glance down, he even says, Truly, your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mystery, for you have may, been able to reveal this mystery. He told the secret. He told it because God enabled him to tell it. That's one of the big thoughts of this chapter. That God reveals mysteries. God reveals what we wouldn't know without him. This is why the Bible speaks so strongly against all other religions and spiritualities. Palm reading, Tarot, Ouija, the Quran, the Book of Mormon. None of them reveal what they claim to reveal. What they reveal isn't true. God in heaven is the living and true God. Only he reveals reality. The Bible insists other religions and spiritualities are unreliable. But it's not just alternative spiritualities that lose sight of reality. It's just as foolish to try to work out everything as if there is no God and nothing spiritual. Now, there's a lot to be uh, learnt from non-Christian ecologists, ethicists, anthropologists, sociologists, psychologists, oleologists. We can learn a lot from people who investigate and think and describe as if there is no God. Or as if the living and true God isn't God. I take it that's what Daniel was doing for his three years that he was in Babylon Uni. He learned things. But describing the universe as if there is no God is like describing a piano recital without mentioning the multi-skilled pianist who not only plays the piano but built the piano and tuned the piano. True things could be said. The keys go down, the hammers hit the strings, the strings vibrate, the sound waves reach our ears. True, but incomplete. That particular piano exists because, well, the pianist made it and maintains it. The keys move because, and the sounds blend to make a musical experience that moves us because the pianist plays. We only see reality clearly when we include what God reveals to us. When we include God who reveals it to us. He shows us how things really are. He shows us reality. 
who we are, what's really good, what he is really like. Each time we read the Bible, we're invited to step further into a truer, better story. And God's work by his Spirit is to tune our thoughts and conscience, our will and passions to reality that he reveals. Let's look much more briefly at what the dream means. God rules now and always. In verses 37 and 38, Daniel says, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and in whose hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. He's saying to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the king of the worlds. Now, if he told his spiritual advisors his, his, the storyline of his dream, they might have said the same thing as Daniel. Uh, without a bit about God giving it all to him, but I reckon they would have said to the king, you are the king of the world. You are the stone. Can you imagine, can't you? They'd have been wrong. <laughs> he has been given a great and glorious rule by the living and true God, but he is not the stone. He is the head of gold, uh, an inferior silver kingdom will come after him, then bronze, uh, then a stronger kingdom of iron. Stronger than the rest, but weaker than the rest. Feet of iron mixed with clay, obviously breakable. But mixed or pure, strong or weak, none of those kingdoms stand. A final kingdom comes. It's obviously different from the others. It's not represented as part of a statue made by human hands. It's represented by a stone cut by no human hand. Verse 44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that can never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. (coughs) Through the centuries, rulers and warriors have known they won't last and their kingdoms won't last. Kings and kingdoms rise and fall. History books are full of evidence uh, of what's happened to ancient civilizations All that's left is the bits and pieces you can go and see in museums. All that's left are scraps of what life was like in Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. In some ways, kingdom after kingdom after kingdom after kingdom is expected. It's just what happens. (coughs) Gold, silver, bronze, iron, inevitable. Empires rise and fall and are replaced by others which rise and fall and are replaced. But this dream says it won't always be like that. New for Nebuchadnezzar, not new for God's people. God already said it wouldn't be always like that. 800 years before Daniel, uh, God told David what would happen in the future. He told David a mystery. He told David one of David's descendants would rule forever. 
And since then, God's people have been waiting for that ruler to come. Here in the dream, God gives to a Babylonian king is another picture, another promise that a descendant of David will rule forever. When Daniel wrote, uh, gold had already given way to silver. Babylon had already been defeated by the Medes and Persians. Uh, Greeks came next, then the Romans. And while the Romans ruled, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And the gospels show us Jesus dying as king and rising to rule over everything eternally. The rest of the New Testament insists that Jesus already rules at God's right hand, that that Jesus will rule in the future. Jesus rules now and always. Now already he is seated at God's right hand, ruling over all things then into the future. In the future he will return and he will crush all opposition. The stone in Nebuchadnezzar's dream is a picture of eternal rule, destroying all opposition, growing and expanding until Jesus' good and loving rule is the only rule. The first readers were still in exile or back in Jerusalem. Either way, they were under that Medo-Persian rule, silver. They needed to know that. They needed to know that just as gold in Babylon uh, was uh, given their rule by God, the same with the new silver superpower. God gave the rule, and God will take it away. And the day was coming when he would destroy all opposing authorities and give all rule and authority to his Christ. (coughs) And his Christ would rule eternally. That was the first reader. Our privilege, our privilege is to look back and see how it did happen the way God said it would. But we need the same comfort of knowing that God rules now and always, that Christ Jesus rules now and always. We need it because although the stone has struck the statue, the opposing kingdoms are still crumbling. Knowing the stone has struck, and that every other power and authority will crumble, well, that gives us clarity. Daniel's story about Nebuchadnezzar's uh, dream helps us see it's not okay to ignore God. It's not okay for our friends to ignore God. Helps us say that we're safe if we're trusting Jesus. That they'll be safe they turn in trust to Jesus. We have Christian brothers and sisters who live in parts of the world where government comes down hard on Christian believers, where family members come down hard on Christian believers. Our brothers and sisters can stand firm and press on because Jesus rules now and always. Who knows what's ahead for us? What? Challenges or dangers we'll face from governments or corporations. Whatever comes, we can stand firm and press on 
because Jesus rules now and always. Nebuchadnezzar's dream is a great story. It can change the way we see the world and it can change the way we live in the world. But it doesn't change the world. Reality is what reality is. There will be times when we feel like our lives are out of God's control. We can't see why he would want what we're drowning in. So we will begin to wonder if he was ever involved. There will be other times when we feel like our lives would be better with another ruler. Something someone said or just our own desires. So begin to wonder if God really is the best ruler. We could tell ourselves those stories. Or we could listen to this one. This story God reveals to us because we couldn't know it without him. The truer, better story. The truer, better story that tells us reality. That God rules now and always. That Christ Jesus, who died to bring forgiveness and is raised to give eternal life, that Christ Jesus rules now and always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that as we live in the confusion of hearing lots of voices, lots of stories telling us what is, what will be, who we are, who you are, we thank you that you speak, that you speak your word, the Bible, that you point us to your Son. Thank you that you tell us the truer, better story. That in the Lord Jesus, we see that you do rule now and always, that he rules now and always. And that is a good rule because of the rule of the Savior who suffered and is raised to reign. In him, amen.